the places that are spoken of in the Gospels around the birth of Jesus, all of those places to today can be visited. And so we're going to visit four locations. And the first location is Bethlehem. You know, when we sing Christmas carols, O Little Town of Bethlehem, we think of a kind of fuzzy, warm feeling, a really cozy place. And yet the narrative tells us that it was a place of tension under Roman occupation. And Mary and Joseph, positioned by God almost, through a Roman census, go back to the town of David, Bethlehem. Bethlehem becomes the house of bread, the place where Jesus is born. And you know, actually today, Bethlehem is not seen as a cozy little location. Around Bethlehem, you'll find a wall of petition where the West Bank is separated from Israel, still a place of tension. And so as we visit Bethlehem together and get the feel of the tension of that day, but also the tension today, as we start this journey on the Royal Road, our prayers are that this will be really helpful to all of us, will encourage us in our Christian faith, and will connect us with the historic Jesus. Have a great, great day. Good stuff. Good morning, everybody. Okay, so we're starting our series today. The Royal feel excited about this. I think um, there's some great teaching in here, some good um, biblical stuff. Hopefully we can revisit scriptures that we've read year after year after year, that we've heard in nativities year after year, but, that we, but knowing that the Word of God is living and active, that when we read it, that it always accomplishes something in our lives. It doesn't come back void. Um, so I'd love to, as we just get into these scriptures again, to just expect God to say something new to us. I read it, I read that um, when looking at Luke 2 this morning, and I was just reading it this morning and thinking, gosh, in Syria... That's what it's talking about. It's talking about Syria, and I'm thinking about everything that I'm hearing about Syria on the news at the moment, and just something afresh kind of sparked in me. I don't know about you, but do you feel fascinated about what's going on in the Middle East and the, all the spiritual implications of what's going on in the very place that Jesus was born, in the place that he put his feet, it just places, like Stuart said in the video, of huge tension, of political tension, of warfare. There's something going on in the natural, but there's something going on in the spiritual as well, isn't there? And I just feel intrigued by that. But yes, so the Royal Road, um, this is our first, we're looking at the Messiah positioned for the first um, first episode of this, I guess, and then we're carrying on, it's taking us all the way up till Christmas. So is anyone starting to feel Christmassy yet? Anyone got their Christmas tree up? We went to the FDs a while ago, they had their Christmas tree up, mid-November I think it was, and he came around with a Christmas card, I was like, what's this? But our first Christmas card, so thank you for, I love it when people are just so willing to roll up their sleeves and get Christmassy soon, uh, sooner rather than later. It's the 1st of December today, I thought it was the 1st of December yesterday, so in our house we don't do Christmas Eve boxes for the boys, we do a little box, it's very, it's nothing exciting, it's got um, a few little Christmas things 
things from last year, a cup and all that kind of stuff. But they do get a new pair of Christmas pajamas. They get their advent calendar. And um, then I put a little chocolate in there. They have these little things in their room. Smith's got a Santa Claus. We put a little chocolate in his pocket, one every day. And then we've got a tree in Hudson's room. And I put a little chocolate treat in there. And he came downstairs and he was saying to me, Mummy, thank you for that, for the, that rustle. And I was like, what? And he was saying, thank you so much. You, you gave me a rustle, a rustle. And I said, I really, sorry, just like try and unpack this for me. And he went, the chocolate rustle you gave me, a rustle sprout. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh, that's so cute. It was this little chocolate Brussels sprout that he thought was called rustle. I love it. So I said to Dan, you do know we're now always going to call Brussels sprouts rustles in our house. But just that just sweet, sweet little six-year-old thinking he had a rustle in his bedroom. But yeah, so we're getting ready for Christmas and um, hopefully this will set us in the mood, but set Christmas in the proper context, not in the context of the consumerism and the Russell Sprouts and everything that we can get or what we can get carried away with in this season, but we can root it in the word of God, that knowing that something happened, something's afoot, something's going on in the spiritual as well as the natural. So we're looking at the Royal Road. Messiah positioned and there is a little bit of interactivity in this so if I point out to you please comply otherwise um, the, it, the metaphor won't get across but I'll, you will see what that is later. So we're going to read from Luke, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke and we're looking at chapter 2 so I'm just going to read it to you again and I'm just going to ask God, actually God I ask you that you would reveal something new to us through this particular scripture. I pray that you'd help us to place ourselves in the story, to hear the sounds, to smell the smells, to see the sights. Help us to get a better understanding that your word isn't a fairy tale, but it's living, it's active, it teaches us. So come and show up, I pray, by your grace and your goodness. Come and show up to us through this word. Reveal to us what you want to reveal to us. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear in your name. Amen. So Luke chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. So in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It was good news then, it's good news now. We're being bought good news that is joy for all the people throughout eternity. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven 
and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So we're looking at this verse, but we're looking at this idea that there was in Jesus coming, in that verse coming into realisation that there was a royal road. There was a royal road that led up to this point, And then there was a royal road that leads us into eternity. There was a royal road behind Jesus coming and there is a royal road ahead of him. And if you go into the next chapter in Luke 3, you see that there's a genealogy. Genealogies, those things of if from this person to this person, it's a family background. It's the things that if you're trying to tick off your Bible reading and you're trying to get through a Bible in one year, you skip through them. Give me a give me a hands up if you ever skip through a genealogy. Come on, yeah, we do. But in genealogy, um, in Luke three, there's genealogy. It runs back from Joseph through David and right back to Adam. It's no accident of who Jesus, the line that Jesus is being born into. It's been planned right from the beginning of time. There's been a royal road that has led up to this point. In Matthew one, we see a genealogy back from Abraham. It says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 from the exile to the Christ. 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. You know when we might worry that God doesn't see or care about the detail of our life? He really does. Genealogies show us that. 14, 14, 14. People's names, individual lives, intersections where Jesus has just broke into people's family lines in order. God has broke into Jesus' family lines in order to realize the um, realize the prophetic statements that have been spoken about Jesus. In both these writers, in both Gospels, in all of them, in fact, it illustrates the place of Jesus in history. In fact, just the very word itself, history, his story, just the very timeline of our lives from the beginning of time to the end of time is all based on this moment. You've got BC, everything that happened before this moment, BC, before Christ, everything that happened after this moment, Anno Domini, the year of the Lord or the year of our Lord. And that's how the whole, the Julian, the Gregorian calendar, that is how it's based. I love it. Even atheists can't escape that our whole, the whole timeline of history, it's before Christ, it's after Christ, it's all pinned on him because he, there was a road leading to his birth, a road behind him and a road before him. And if you get into the Old Testament, I wrestle, I wrestle with scripture all the time. There's things in it that I like, there's things in it I find hard, I wrestle with it, but nevertheless, it is the word of God. And in scripture, throughout, if you've got yourself into the Old Testament, you'll see prophecy after prophecy. If you begin to understand how a Jewish nation would have read it, you begin to see that there's clues. There's clues everywhere. Someone's coming, something's happening, this isn't the end, this isn't just it. It's kind of like this prophetic alpha. There is more to life than this, there is more to life than this. Is all the way throughout the Old Testament, through all the Jewish scriptures, there's a clue. Someone's coming. Something's happening. Just wait. We read it in Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, or another translation would say, one who is from old, from days of eternity. I love that. It's a clue. One, it's someone's coming, but he's always been here anyway. You know, some Jewish scholars, some people are still trying to get their head around these scriptures. They're still waiting for someone to come, and that's the difference. We believe he has come. Jesus Christ has come, and that, what, that is what forms our Christian faith. The royal road 
doesn't begin with just the birth of Jesus. It doesn't begin actually even with the creation. It begins way before that, right back in the beginning where was the, there was the word. And there was a spirit that hovered and brooded over creation. And I just love this. 1 John 1, talking about Jesus. The one who existed from the beginning is the one we have heard and seen. Just think, John is writing as a Jewish writer. He had been waiting. He know, He's heard all the trailers. He knows all the background. He knows everything that's been anticipated. And then he's writing this. The one who existed from the beginning, who we've heard and seen, we've seen him with our own eyes. We've touched him with our own hands. He is Jesus Christ, the word of life. The one who is life from God was shown to us, and we have seen him. So John's got this passion. We've seen him. So now I have to tell you. Now we testify and announce to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was shown to us. This is cool for us. This is exciting for us because we're like, oh, cool, look how God knitted it all together. Someone was coming, and then they came, and it's, it's look how amazing it changes our lives. But for Jewish people who were so steeped in these scriptures, they understood all these scriptures like the back of their hand. They carried the scriptures on their very body. For somebody like that then to see Jesus, the one he had been reading about, the one he had been learning about since he was a boy. We are telling you, John goes on to say, we're telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you might have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, God is not in this cosmic game of cat and mouse with us where he's trying to hide himself from us. God is revealing himself to us. He reveals himself through the scriptures. He reveals himself through nature. He reveals himself ultimately through Jesus Christ. If you've read the message version, the message translation of the Bible, it talks about Jesus being God with skin on. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus is like, look at God. They're one of the same. And down through history, God provides us this divine roadmap. He foretold various signs and conditions for his prophets. And these prophets spoke of things that mankind should watch for so that the Messiah would be recognized and believed. And these signs, these prophecies, they're given to us in the Old Testament. And it's written hundreds of years before Jesus is even born. So the Old Testament was written, some of the last writings, 450 years B.C. So I want to just have a moment to indulge those of us that love statistics, numbers. And I'm awful with numbers, actually. But I love the idea of, of um, the statistic improbability of Jesus then fulfilling all of these prophecies in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a minimum of 300 prophecies about Jesus. And they're not just kind of quite airy-fairy, someone will be born, there'll be a man. You know, they're very specific. They're about place and date and time and purpose and life events unfolding. 300 plus prophecies and Jesus fulfilled Every single one of them. Now, we can't deny that from a historical point of view. If you're, really, if you're sitting here this morning thinking, oh, I'm not quite sure where I'm at with the word of God. I'm not quite sure where I'm at with the Bible. But I do love a bit of science. I do love a bit of history. Historically, we cannot deny that these 
things happened. There is more evidence that these things happened than there were for the fact that Julius Caesar existed. And we all seem very comfortable with the fact that Julius Caesar existed. But 300 prophecies. So mathematically speaking, the odds of anyone fulfilling this amount of prophecy is absolutely staggering. In fact, I was with Jonas yesterday and some of the ground level leadership engine guys. And he just, he gave me a visual example. He said it's like getting 200 roulette wheels and spinning them all at the same time, putting the ball on it and expecting that every single time that you did it, that every ball in every roulette wheel would land on the same number and the same color every single time. One person fulfilling eight of these prophecies is one in 100. And this is where I'm going to ask some people to stand up. So Tim, Maddie, would you stand up for me? Tim, Maddie, Anna, would you stand up as well? Sue, James, would you mind standing up? Lizzie, would you mind? Alison, would you mind standing up? So one, two, three, four, five, six. Dave, Emily, let's just go for this whole row. Dave, Emily, Louie, Becky, Becca. Matt and Bria. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of these three hundred plus prophecies is one in a hundred zero 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 zero. Woo! Just eight. Just eight of those prophecies. Thank you, guys. It's good to have a visual that many zeros. Also, because I can't say that number. I don't even know what it is. So that is really helpful. So one person just fulfilling eight of these prophecies. And he didn't kind of just, oh, he kind of, maybe if we kind of did some um, creative journalism, we could get him to create these, to, to fulfill these prophecies. He fulfilled the prophecy fully. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one in 10 to the 157th power. Does anybody know what that means? <laughs> Daniel, do you know what that means? No, I feel like you might have some kind of mathematical brain that might. 10 with 57 zeros. So 50, thank you, Louis. Who, who knew? Who knew he, Louis? Very good. Um, very good. Um, so that would be, yeah, then. So if 57 people stood up, it would be that many zeros. That's just 48 prophecies. That's not even half of what we're talking about. One person fulfilling three over 300 prophecies. There's not even a number. There's just a name, and it's, that name is Jesus. One person fulfilling over 300 prophecies, 20 roulette wheels. Somebody gave this example of if you filled the surface of the, of, um, the surface of the world with gold coins and you marked one, it would be being able to pick out that coin. It's that level of statistics. And I don't know about you, but that floats my boat. I'm like, okay, so I know this stuff is real, but that helps me to think, okay, this stuff is really real. It's not possible that someone got pregnant by accident, didn't know how to tell their husband and accidentally started a religion. That's not what happened. What happened that we're still mindlessly following 2,000 years later? That isn't what happened. What happened is God had a plan from the beginning of time. There was a road that led up to this moment, and then that moment continues on into eternity. So there was a road behind. And secondly, there was a road ahead. There's just two points this morning, the road behind, everything building up to that moment. And how 
broken God's heart must be. He prepared a whole nation. He prepared generation after generation of this nation of people to receive Jesus. And many of them didn't receive him. They didn't read him in the scripture. They didn't believe the one that came was the one that was prophesied right from the beginning. So the road ahead. Though this episode is rooted in history, it points forward in a way that will affect destiny. The road forward is a road that affects the destiny of, of humanity. So the road didn't stop, didn't come to a dead end with a baby being born in a manger. It didn't stop with a movement that gained a little bit of traction and then fizzled out. Because, you know, people coming in, in first century Palestine and kind of before that, particularly under Roman occupation, Jesus wasn't the first person to come and claim to be the Messiah. That stuff was happening all over the place. But Jesus was the one who then continued to fulfill the prophecy. When you, when you heard Jesus rock up and say that he was the son of God, You'd have probably got some shrugs. Yeah, I've heard that before. Matey boy said it a couple of weeks ago. But it was only Jesus who ended up on the cross, raising three days later, every single one of his disciples being willing to lay their life down for the truth of what they found in Jesus Christ. So the story doesn't end with a being, baby being born or a movement that gains some traction. The road, doesn't, the road doesn't end with a pale white Jesus hanging on a cross, defeated. And neither does it even the story end with a powerful resurrected Jesus being resurrected three days later. The story, this royal road that started in eternity is continuing. We are on it. We are part of the story. That gives me a sense of responsibility and a sense of purpose. We're part of the story. The story is still being written. It's still being narrated until everything gets wrapped up in eternity. As Stuart would say, when Jesus would come and say, time, ladies and gentlemen, please. It is the end of time. I'm wrapping up all things. I'm bringing it to myself. Time, as we know it, is now finished. Until that point, the story is still being continued. And I love that all the way through scripture, there are just all these beautiful clues that God has woven into the world and into the narrative that give us clues about him. Like I said earlier, God is not in a game of cosmic hide and seek. He's constantly revealing himself to us. And I don't know if anybody's read the Tim Keller book around um, oh, proof of existence for God. What's it called? Do you know, Matt? Tim Keller. Anyway, sorry, I can't remember it. Um, it's, it's a book that's written really to Christians or um, atheists, agnostics, and it's a, it's, he's basically um, advocating for the proof of existence for God. And he talks about this idea of clues, this idea of what we're talking about this morning, that all the way through scripture, through who Jesus is, there's just all these clues. And he talks about clue one being the mysterious bang. Either God created the universe or it just happened. Either of those theories require faith. You've got to have, you've got to, it requires faith to believe either of them, doesn't it? Clue two, and I love this, and you see this through scripture, and it's just personified in Jesus, is this idea of the cosmic welcome mat. The clue is called, it's called the anthropic, an, anthropic principle, or the fine-tuning argument, for any of us that love to kind of get into science and the universe, the idea of fine-tuning, which recognized that humans could not exist in any other universe than this one. If any of the universe constants were different, we wouldn't be around to observe them. It's literally like the smallest amount near the sun, the smallest amount away from the sun, all that kind of stuff. That's the idea of the cosmic welcome mat. And we see that all the way throughout scripture, don't we? Just a welcoming God. He set the scene for us. Just these clues of who he is. Clue three, the regularity of nature. Continued regularity is a matter of faith. 
we wake up in the morning and we expect it to be a new day. The sun will rise, the sun will set 24 hours in a day. That's a matter of faith because there's absolutely nothing to guarantee that the universe will be here tomorrow if we didn't believe in the very God who is setting out this royal road, whose breath sustains the whole universe. Clue four, the clue of beauty. And he says this, we may therefore be secular materialists. Some of us might struggle with secular materialism who believe that truth and justice and good and evil are just complete illusions. But in the presence of art or even great natural beauty, something in us gets evoked. We become part of a bigger story. Regardless of the beliefs of our mind about random meaningless of life, in the face of beauty and in the face of truth, we have an innate desire, innate desire for, their, for our desire for beauty and truth to be satisfied. And I was talking to, I got to have a really good day yesterday. It's great to be with Martin and Anne and Barbara, who isn't here this morning, but with the ground level leadership guys and just a level of conversation that you have there around theology and around this kind of stuff is great. And someone was talking about the French uh, philosopher, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre. I was, I, was, I was just debating, should I do it in a French accent? But I won't, because I, I half did. Anyway, so he, he talks about how he can't deny that God might not exist, but neither can he deny this innate longing that he has for God and essentially to be part of the story. Does anyone know that feeling, just this innate feeling, this in us, just this in us for beauty and truth and to be part of a bigger story? The news is we are part of a bigger story. We're part of a royal road. It started way back at the beginning of the time. At the beginning of time, it climaxed with the birth of Jesus Christ. And it is still continuing now. If you feel what I would call existential restlessness, I feel that often. Dan's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I might happen to be having an existential crisis. I just, that's just my character. Every so often I dip in and out of this sense of existential, existential restlessness. I need to lift my eyes and remember. Remember, I'm part of a bigger story. There was a road that began. I'm I am walking along it. There's clues all the way along the road. I'm not wandering around mindlessly, indulging my, my privileged existential crises. I'm not doing that. There's roadmaps. There's clues. There's directions for me to lift my eyes to see that Jesus is exactly who he says he was, to read ancient scriptures and see that they point towards Jesus, to read the truths of Jesus and see that they change my life. No need for existential restlessness in here. There's clues here, there, and everywhere. And just to finish, we see, we read in Luke 2 that he was born in Bethlehem. God had always planned that he'd be born in Bethlehem. Old Testament we read, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people of Israel. Do you know what I love about God? Many, many, many things, but he often chooses the least. Bethlehem is small, it's the least. Nazareth, you hear when somebody starts talking about Jesus is from Nazareth. Nazareth, can anything good even come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth, it was embarrassing to be from Nazareth. They had a strong, um, like it would be like a West Country accent now. That's why they could, that's why when, uh, just before the crucifixion, that lady said to Peter, she heard him and she said, you're from Nazareth, you're a disciple. He denied it, he denied it, he denied it. She knew because the clue was in his accent. So God chooses the least. If you feel the least this morning, if you feel far off this morning, it is God's pleasure to come and reveal Jesus to you. If you feel far off this morning, it's his pleasure for him to bring you near. But I love this about Bethlehem. 
to me, this is just part of this cosmic clues here, there, and everywhere. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. Later, we read Jesus is born literally in the house of bread. We go on to read later, and he declares himself as the bread of life. He takes bread. He gives us this example in the feeding of the 5,000. He takes bread and teaches the principle to us that when we bring our bread to the one who is the bread of life, there is nothing he cannot do with that bread. And then just before he's crucified, he takes some bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. To me, I just feel excited by that clue after clue after clue that God so intricately planned it. And so it is with our life. He intricately planned a cosmic event because that's the God he is. He loves to be intricately involved and leave little clues. But you know what you have to do to see the little clues? You have to have faith and you have to be willing to look for them. There's little clues in your life this morning as to the goodness of God. There's clues in your life. There's clues in you, waiting for you in your week that will, that will lead you to the truth of who Jesus is. There's clues here, there, and everywhere in our lives. If we will only see them and realize that there is a God weaving a tapestry, paving a royal road, and we are the ones that are walking along it. The way God weaves all these things into the timeline of history is mind-blowing to me. It's, it calls me to worship. It calls me to want to get down on my knees and to worship him. And Viv, sorry to spring this on you, but you know the last song that you did, um, Our Father in Heaven. Would you just come and sing that for us? Is that all right? Sorry, I didn't even prep you, Viv, but thank you for doing that. Because I think when we begin to get an idea of a God who from the beginning of time into eternity, in which I could try and unpack for you, but I can't. I don't have the language to unpack what eternity will be like. Um, but if we can believe that there's a God that's weaving that's weaving, that's constantly weaving, that's constantly issuing a cosmic welcome mat to it, that's showing us clues after clues. I believe it just draws our heart to worship him. It's so intricately woven. It speaks to our hearts. But for me, it speaks to our intelligence. You don't have to kiss your brains goodbye to follow Jesus. You can engage your brain. You can just begin to think of the numbers, the statistical probability of how the universe is made. Or the multiverse, which we won't go into, but I was talking about that yesterday. But I personally believe in a universe, but also I believe in a God who can do whatever he wants. He's way bigger. He's way bigger than we even know. And I said yesterday, I believe God was just stirring something in my heart yesterday. God doesn't belong in a box. He belongs on a throne. When we try and box him in, we lose the wonder when we place him on a throne, we begin to see he's been paving a road. He's weaving something. There's promises. There's history through it all. You see the promises to David, Psalm 44. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Well, that wasn't David. That was Jesus who was to come through the throne of David. So just to finish, and I'd love us just to finish in worship. This stuff makes me want to worship the king. But picture the traditional nativity scene. They're getting slightly precarious over the years, aren't they, with like an alien in or, you know, all the, all the like you go to politi a dinosaur, politically correct nativities. But picture the traditional nativity scene. Is it a coincidence that at the royal road, at the nativity, the place where heaven comes to earth, we have shepherds and we have angels? To me, that's a picture of heaven and earth connecting. 
that at the place where Jesus came, he came to connect heaven with us on earth. So we sing, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. We have shepherds and angels signifying the place where heaven and earth connect. And I believe heaven wants to connect with us this morning. I believe God's just shown us something of his clues, of his timeline, of this road that we're on. Heaven wants to connect with us. Does heaven want to connect into any sense of existential restlessness? Yes. Does heaven want to connect into a broken body, an empty womb, a negative diagnosis? Yes, heaven wants to connect into all of that. Does heaven want to connect into any sense of chaos or sense of falling short or sense of going round and round in circles? Yes, heaven wants to connect. Just the very nativity story, the shepherds, the angels, heaven connecting to earth. Heaven wants to connect and heaven wants to invade. And I believe if we can worship God and realize that this isn't just a nice story that we play out every Christmas, that it was put in place before the beginning of time and it will continue until time no longer exists the way that we understand it in our limited understanding. If we can say in that, your kingdom come, your will be done. If we can come to our knees and worship, I believe God will continue to reveal who he is to you and to us. So guys, are you happy to sing, to lead us? You can engage with God in the way that you want. Maybe you want to open yourself up, you want to stand up, you want to kneel down, whatever. But we just ask God that your kingdom will come today and that you begin to teach us about the royal road that you've set and that we're on. So we worship you this morning.